Great relationships don't just happen. They're designed. Why leave love to chance when you can make strategic decisions in your relationship just like you do in your career? The days of having to settle for mediocre are over. Welcome to Project Relationship. I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Join me as I explore the decisions and choices that make relationships work no matter what life throws your way. It's time to reimagine relationships from the ground up. Let's go. Hi, and welcome to the Project Relationship Podcast. I'm Dr. Jolie Hamilton, and I'm here with my partner, Ken Hamilton. Hi. And we are talking this week about when things fall apart. I titled this chapter of the book, I originally thought that it was just going to be a chapter. I didn't realize it was going to be sort of the concluding chapter. It made sense in retrospect, but when I was first writing it, I meant when things fall apart, as in when things don't go the way you expected, when things end when you didn't expect them to, or when they take, you know, your whole life, your whole relationship, whatever, takes a 90 degree turn and you're just, you find yourself way off the course you had expected. As our, as one of our daughters said once, this is not what I expected. And sometimes yeah. life is like that. Okay. A lot of the time lot life the time. is like that. Um, so I was thinking about when things fall apart as an opportunity, but that was hard won knowledge. Yeah. So our lives have not gone the way either of us planned. Definitely not. And the biggest word that I can think of when it comes to things falling apart is the word failure. And for me, the word failure is, um, well, it's not liberating. It's not freeing for, for me. And, you know, other people may feel differently about this, but when I think about failure, I think about sort of a dead end. I, I don't think about, well, yeah, I, I, I don't think about what has come of it. So I was just talking on a podcast with Chip Baker um, on the Success Chronicles, and he has a great saying. He, he says, it's either a win or a learn. And that is a nice, succinct way yeah. to put how I actually feel about supposed failures. Yeah. So my first marriage ended at a holiday. Um, it ended pretty roughly, like, like the kind of end that's a little Thelma and Louise off the edge of the cliff sort of ending. It was it was brutal um, on everyone's part. It was very hard on everyone who was involved. Um, but it was also hard because it was a holiday. And there's this expectation about the holidays being happy. And I wasn't happy. I know my partner at the time was not happy. We were miserable. We were we were struggling deeply. Um, my friends were struggling because they were watching us struggle. The, the experience of that ending, um, it wasn't an all-in-one moment sort of thing. It was um, it was more like a slow dawning realization that in fact my marriage was over. I was, I, I was not going to be a married person anymore. And because I had written a, an identity for myself, I created an identity for myself as someone who was married. I got married when I was 20 years old. So all of my adult life had been spent in this state. I didn't 
really have a lot of ways to think about it beyond just this is a failure. This will be a failed marriage. New imagination. Right. And that had come up for me before. Like when I had closed some of my early businesses, I'd, I'd thought about how I'd failed. If I, if I closed the doors, then it had failed. If I um, didn't make my revenue goal, then I had failed. Um, if I didn't complete a particular project, then I'd failed. I used the word failure as a as a way to punish myself. It was a cudgel. It was, it was a way to hurt mm. myself. Um, like a, re- like a sick repentance thing. Like I'll, I'll claim my failure and say how much I screwed up and that will somehow make it better. I like, it sounds, it's just, well, it doesn't sound like it makes any sense to me now, but I remember feeling that way. I, uh, I, I use the word failure on purpose for myself because I have been, a very grandiose visionary who thought I could do anything. And it's useful for me to remember that things can fail. But in, in, in what you're describing and in what I'm describing, well, in order to know whether you've failed, you need to define what success is. And then you need to know what your values are, what your expectations are. And if you meet your expectations, did you succeed? What if you exceed your expectations? Did, did you, you fail? Extra succeed? Did oh, you, did you or fail? Did you, because I mean, you missed your expectation? Like, so, and it's a good question. Take, taking the, um, so it's useful for me to say I failed because it reminds me that things aren't always going to go the way I plan them to in those rare occasions when I actually plan <laughs> rather than just doing stuff. But, uh, well, you made a great point. I'm doing my business planning for yep. 2021 right now. Yep. I'm doing my CEO time. And I I noticed that everything, I mean, I'm good at setting smart goals, mm-hmm. you know, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time bound. I'm, I'm good at that. And I'm good at achieving those. I'm, I'm good at making sure that I do the work, that I show up and I, with intention, do the work. But I know the back door I leave myself when I haven't defined what success is. Mm -hmm. And I can feel the impulse even in this planning cycle. I don't know why in this particular one. I can dig into that later. But I can feel the impulse to not set some of my goals because that'll leave me the wiggle room to not feel like I'm failing. Which Right. So, But the the key could be to redefine what exactly is failure. What will it mean to fail? And um yeah because we've we've talked about this recently um together offline here um is if you don't define success you're you're always failing yeah and that's something i do a lot because i'm a goal post mover and you so you will myself i'm really good at not doing it for other people but when it comes to myself not define yeah success which means i can't succeed right and i I will define success but then move the goalposts on me myself as soon as i've succeeded at that thing i mean i i do it with so many things i did it with my dissertation i did it publishing a book i've done it a thousand times it's never quite enough a tedx isn't enough gotta do something more it's it is exhausting but also it feeds some part of myself it feeds some little this little girl part of myself that only thinks she's worth something if she's striving incredibly hard um, and doesn't know how to accept success. And 
she needs, I don't know, I, I'm going to get her a lollipop or something because she's going to need to sit down for 2021 because mm -hmm. I am going to succeed. You're and gonna succeed. She's going to have to figure out how to deal with she's that. She's going to have to just deal. Um, I think for me, though, relationships are actually the easiest. Like that's been the easy spot to pinpoint how I can change my relationship to the word failure. Because when my marriage was ending, my first marriage was ending, I remember hearing and feeling a lot of pressure, like to use the phrase failed marriage or broken family or, um, oh, just any number of other things, but failed marriage, we'll stick with that one. Except as I was, as I was going through the divorce process and untangling the life we had together and, and creating my own life and, and putting like wrapping up what was that relationship it became really clear that there were lots of things we had succeeded at. We had, we had achieved things together. We created a life together. We bought a home together. We'd created a family together. We had, we had helped each other achieve some of our dreams together. How, why was I calling, why was I feeling pressured to call that a failure? When yeah, and what a small word that is now failure for a really complex situation that has multiple multiple things going on inside right. it. So in order to measure the success of a marriage or a business or um, your parenting, anything, you'd have to look at it from so many different angles, right? You'd have yeah. to really get all these different angles and to measure by one metric, by just the metric of longevity. Did you stay together? Yeah. As if that is the only way you can have had a successful marriage. That well, one, I find it disrespectful to people whose marriages end not of their volition right. through a death or mm -hmm. um, a, a divorce that was thrust upon them by a partner who they like they they were still in. They were still trying, but another their partner wasn't uh, didn't want to or or even one where the whole situation changed. Yep. Pe the people in the relationship changed so dramatically that they were no yep. longer right for that kind of relationship. And that mental illness. Me. Any, accidents, education, like any, things like, that things just change you change. Or, or a coming out that changes uh -huh. how you identify. And now yep. your partner needs to be able to have the space and time to understand who you are. Yep. And I don't mean to say, I don't want to downplay the the beauty of, of staying with someone through thick and thin, but that it bothers me to think that that's the, the end all be all for all situations or to think that we can, from the outside, imagine or judge or have any right to judge what somebody else is going through inside a relationship. Yeah. Because one thing I've learned working with people is that you never really know. You have, you have to be all the way on the inside yep. to start to understand what's going on in another person's nobody, relationship in yeah. their household. Nobody um, could see what was going on in my first marriage what what the reality of it was how do you think it was different what what's like a major way that you feel like it was different the way it was viewed and reported to you versus the way you experienced it well it what i my understanding of how it was viewed is harmonious and uh, like a a team we were we were very much in love and together and and on the same page with everything and we we weren't on the inside we had significant values differences that we just didn't talk about the not and the not talking about it let you it let us it let us pursue longevity in favor of depth 
Oh, yes. Okay. So the the feeling that I get with you where <laughs> sometimes it feels like we're perilously close to an ending. Doesn't it, though? Oh, sometimes <laughs> it, it really, really does. Yeah. Um, but that's also the feeling of being right out of the margins of our of our competence. Yes. Right out right. of the margins, yep. which is where growth happens. I mean, so when we are when we are coaching people on physical training, yep. fitness training, we would talk about like, yep, you got to work right at that edge of your ability, whether that be skill or endurance or whatever. You got it right at the edge in that zone. There's like a magic zone there out past where you're comfortable, but before you're completely, utterly petrified and ruining things. Mm -hmm. But there's some room in there and we play in that space a lot. We do. It's uh, yeah, kind of dancing on the edge of a cliff there, but but it's also not a cliff. Well, it's but not, that, but, that one ways, but one of the ways, but one of the ways that we um, handle our, the idea of longevity differently is we made a commitment when we married, because we weren't sure we were going to actually sign on the dotted line and get yep. like officially state married. Um, and then we did, but one of the ways we dealt with that was to decide that every three years we would re-up. We would have a real conversation, a whole day's worth of conversation about where we were at and what we're doing, our goals, our values, our the state of our union, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and that that was an opportunity to um, say that it's time to change something. To change something. And that doesn't mean ending. It's not it like a day to announce ending. a divorce. And, and it's a day to, but, but it, it's a day where we intentionally say, so what do you need to say that you're not saying? When I read that chapter and the, and we talk about these things, I think of transitions. Yeah. Like our, um, our, our analyst, they're oh, green, yeah. amazing man. Uh, and his wife, Anita, also amazing people. They, um, he would talk to us about the multiple marriages that he had, that they had had. Yeah, over their many, many years. Over their, their many, many years. Plus years. And the, the many marriages 70. that they have had. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, 70 years of marriage. And the um, each one a transition into a new way of relating. And, and transitions can be really, really difficult. Liminal oh, yeah. space. So the idea of liminal space is that there is this time when you are, when you're nowhere. You're betwixt and between. You are neither in the marriage that you thought you were, nor are you settled into the next mm -hmm. phase of marriage. Or, And you could talk about that in business too. Yeah. I've actually been in that spot in my business this year. 2020 for me has been, wait, well, I'm not quite, I'm not really there because I was still wrapping up my dissertation. But then, well, when does it start? When do you press go? That space where you're in the liminal time or at the threshold it, it's very disorienting. It is disorienting. Yeah, exactly. One of the ways that I get through that time, um, I learned while during my time at Pacifica Graduate Institute, um, was to turn to my dreams. So I'm a very, um, I'm a, a Myers-Briggs ENTJ. I tend to prefer the idea that everything could be logical and rational and thought-based, but... And you married me. I married you. Who's <laughs> none of those things. None of those things. But also, um, yeah, my professors at Pacifica were great at reminding me that there are so many ways to know. There are so multiple mm -hmm. ways of knowing. And 
and encouraging me to practice those ways. So turning to my dreams for me is simply a reminder to to pay attention to what my sleeping dreams are telling me, what's coming up, um, and remembering that my dreams are entirely self-centered. Every every figure, every character in my dreams are from a Jungian perspective. They're they're me. They're not. I'm not dreaming about someone else. I'm dreaming about different parts of myself. And we could go into the whole dreaming thing for a long time. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on dreaming. But that, like, just remembering to pay attention to my dreams when I'm in liminal space is helpful. It's a reminder that life isn't as simple as what it feels like when you're hustling to the next meeting or trying to fit in just another half hour to handle emails or get dinner on the table. There's, there's... There's another measure of time that doesn't go by any of that. And in when we're in transitions, that's where we are. And, and sometimes of relationships in that space. Right. And um, you mentioned it being the liminal space being hard because, yep, you, you've stepped out of one way of, of doing, of being, whatever. You stepped out of one aspect of your relationship. And there's a new one that's a, a new aspect has come up. And you don't necessarily know what you're going to do with it, how it's going to feel, how you're going to think about it, all those things. You're, you're, it's all exploratory. And um, if this is the wrong kind of question to ask, then we can move on. But can you tell me a little bit about what you do in those times with, um, I mean, I know I've, I've seen you use tarot cards and other things like that that just kind of give you some perspective. Yeah. So when I when I don't know what the rules are anymore, um, I want to tap into my intuition because so you know yeah and I do I, I will use tarot cards or a pendulum or whatever and that I don't think of those as divination like from some external source I think of them as ways to let me know what I already know so when I was a kid I would play eeny meeny miny mo and I learned when I was like nine I realized that. I could play eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and figure out what I wanted very easily because my body would have an immediate reaction as soon as I landed on you are not it, right? I, I would have an immediate reaction of either joy or sadness, and I would just go with that. Mm. So it's not that I did what eeny, meeny, miny, mo told me. I listened to my body. So that somatic awareness is, that's been my best clue when I'm moving into a new state of relating lots of body checks, lots of body scanning. And because I'm not really grounded in my body, like in a natural way, I, I had to I had to train myself because I had trained myself to get out of my body. Again, longer conversation, body dysmorphia and some abuse history. But um, but I, I need I need to get back into it because my body has messages for me, just like my dreams do. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the biggest things that I, I do when I'm in that in-between state. So for me, if I'm, when I come up against the idea that something's a failure, I can, I can also turn to that same tool, the, like the somatic awareness. Well, my body knows whether it's a failure. Yeah. Because failure connotes not learning anything from it. Mm, And almost universally, when I check in with my body, my body knows I learned something. Well, how do you feel when you're in that spot of like, 
wondering if everything's a failure and you're (laughs) well um me personally i tend to feel like a child and Mm. now i can identify that and what does it feel like in you um feels like a um a little fight or flight response yeah going on you know some shakiness your eyes often water. My eyes water. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, and emotionally, it feels like everything is overwhelming. Yeah. And I've I've been working with this long enough to be able to step outside of it a little bit and say, okay, so that's a thing that's happening right now. I have a childish part of me that's that's overwhelmed and terrified about what the future is going to bring and what this change is um is is going to bring that that part has a very uh negative imagination yeah yeah negative imagination so my research area is jealousy and one of the things i love about studying jealousy is the um the way it made clear to me that we don't need to be objectively afraid of something for it to be having a full Mm -hmm impact on our life imagined interruption to our love bond is plenty to create havoc a a, a tragedy can occur entirely in our imagination and when, when if we don't if we don't give our imagination the credit it deserves for how much it drives our actions right we can mistakenly think that just because we feel something it's it's objectively happening and real right. and and we may be writing stories about what our partners doing what their what their motives are all of that based on stuff that's actually ours to work on our story so when i think about when things fall apart i think about how hard it has been to learn to start on my side of the street to start by looking at okay where am i really where, where am I? Like, and first, oh, like really okay. checking in. Okay. I'm afraid that this relationship is ending. What's really happening? Yeah. Is this relationship ending? Am I, a, what are the things, what are the things I have heard? And so I'll write them down. What have I heard that makes me think this relationship is ending? What, mm. what have I seen that makes me think this relationship is ending? Um, so we are, we are in a consensually non-monogamous relationship and always have been. Um, and that that isn't about how many partners we have. Not at all. In fact, both of us are really, really lazy. It's but, true. I... <laughs> um, but it is about a mindset that has let me redefine what what failure would be for a relationship. Yeah. Yep. And that makes me excited because so I, my imagination around relationship used to take me to these dark places where any deviation from total undivided attention from my partner meant that there was a threat to our love bond right and shifting into a mindset of well maybe we're in liminal space maybe we're experiencing transition and that might not be an ending it might be but it might be a new beginning for how we're relating or something might be going on that i don't want to be going on i may be wanting to set a boundary or yeah yeah it's it's such a big conversation i feel like we're we We can only just tap the, the the edges of it but my marriage broke up at Christmas time. Every year at Christmas time, I feel 
the potential for the failure of yeah. our of our love bond, our connection. Okay. But it's not based on things I've actually seen. It's not based on your seeing. current experience. It's based on it's living. It's a live it's a your... felt memory mm -hmm. deep in my in my center. Um. And some of that is unconscious. Some, and, yeah, and it's some definitely an it. iceberg. Some yeah. of it's there and I can see it and some of it is deeply buried. Yep. But it does lead me to not always act in alignment with my values and with my the, the relationship agreements that we have. It can be really hard to stay committed to being part of a team that you think you're about to be fired from. <laughs> okay. You know, That's... It's, it's hard to put all your you know, your whole yeah. self into it. Okay. That's great. It is. And so yes, there's this like proactive, <laughs> I'm struck by how, how true that right? is. Right? There's this proactive resentment. Yes. That starts to come up uh -huh. and you start thinking about maybe punishing people for not wanting you on their team. Right. All kinds of stuff comes up. Stuff. And, and is it, are things falling apart or are they changing or are they growing or are they reconfiguring? Um, there's no right or and there's wrong no right or wrong, way. and there's no I have a lot objective, of good for... or bad for any of that. Maybe things are falling apart. Maybe yeah. that's good because maybe you, you don't fit together anymore. And I have a lot of respect for monogamous people who who stick it out through thick and thin. Um, and I have a lot of respect for people who decide to to move on from mm -hmm. relationships that are no longer functioning in a way that actually meets their 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 needs. That's a level of boundary setting that is, uh, that's impressive to me. It's, it's, uh, it's big. One of the ways that I discern, I, I hesitate to use the word judge because judgment has gotten such a bad rap in our yeah, society. Right. Um, so discernment, one of the ways that I discern whether I am at an ending point or not is to ask myself what it is that I, what it is I want next and if the thing I want next is a transition, a change, then transition. And the best way I know of to do that is to come up with some kind of ritual, some yeah. sort of ritual to, to guide my soul, myself, my mind, whatever you want to call it, that, that piece of you that isn't really, doesn't really speak in regular language, yeah. that part of yourself through that transition. So you can get to the next part. Um, the, for instance, divorces, to my mind, rarely happen in courtrooms. They happen in the private grieving and coming to terms with and hopefully some sort of ritual that allows each individual to move on and, and, and move into the next state. But we've ritualized some transitions in our relationship. We have we've um, exchanged rings um, in a marriage and we've also exchanged rings in a ceremonial shifting of the, the status yep. of our relating. Yep. Um, we've, we've taken the time to close the doors on certain parts of our relationship. Yep. Um, burn okay. some, burn some letters and fires and thrown some things. Well, my, my, my family has a habit of firing rings firing off into off the, the <laughs> out of there, yeah. but, um, probably not supposed to talk about probably that. not supposed to, um, I, yeah. So, and I liked what you said about, so the ritual, which helps. Um, so there you are, you're thinking or feeling about this change and you're, you're working on it explicitly and intentionally. 
Meanwhile, there's this part of you that doesn't operate that way. Yeah. The part that that dreams for you when you're asleep yeah. and has another language and another way of being. And the rituals help coax that part along or give it give it a way to move forward. And it's a way to communicate with that part of yourself. Yeah. I so for me that um the two things that work the best are some kind of ritual to do with fire, because well, um double you're, Leo and yeah. definitely a fire elemental. Um but also um spontaneous creativity i don't think anything works better oh, for me yeah. than smooshing color i don't and i don't mean like creating art i i do that too i i i paint and I, I i make things but just expressing through through color in particular works for me um it used to work best for me through fiber i would like do something i would but color I just need to express something that can't be expressed in words anymore, um, even though words are images, something that needs to come right out of my center. What ritual, like what, what do you need so, to make a ritual? To make a ritual? Um, objects are important to me. They hold a lot of significance to me and the, mani the, the manipulation of objects, moving yeah. them from place to place, or, I mean, there's the burying them and then the firing them out of things and, and that, but the, the, the manipulation. So sometimes take a thing that matters to me and change it in some way. Mm. where it is, which direction it's facing, um, maybe add to it. And I don't do this much at all. Not nearly as much as well. I, now that you've said it, I'll encourage you to. Thank you. When it's time, yeah. I I remember that, and I want to say that creating rituals is not a. It's not like there's not one way. Not I all. offer some templates no. in chapter twelve of the book Project Relationship, but you don't even have to follow the template. The template's just designed to give you a way, but it's not the way. But if you are at a time of transition, then. Yeah, I, I just invite you to create a ritual, give yourself a chance to express it because, yeah, you're going to win or you're going to learn. Yep. It, it, failure is not going to define you and we don't need to define relationships by their endings. No, exactly. Let's define them by their graceful transitions instead. Okay, till next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Project Relationship Podcast with Dr. Jolie Hamilton and Ken Hamilton. If you're enjoying our conversation, we'd be thrilled if you could drop a rating and a quick review so that more people will be able to find us. In episode 12, we talked about what we do when things fall apart. Moving away from the idea that endings equal failures has been one of the most liberating ideas I've ever put into action in my life. Ken and I have found that creating rituals guides us through the transitions that are inevitably required in relationship. This is key to allow us to grow and change. We talked about how tuning into our body sensations, using tools for getting in our intuition, and letting ourselves be in that liminal in-between space is necessary if we want to have a partnership that serves both of our souls, changing, evolving needs. Re redefining failure Learning how to measure our success in useful ways and creating rituals are the three skills that help us create a love that sustains our changing selves. 
Join us next time when Ken and I will wrap up season one. We're going to share what we've learned by getting vulnerable in front of a microphone and talk about some of the big ideas that help us make everything talk aboutable. Until next time, remember, relationships can be messy, and that's good news. Thank you.